1: Heather.
2: My singular page.
1: Tiffany, we're starting now. <laughs> hey everybody, thank you for coming and listening to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. I'm Heather. And uh you heard Tiffany just then. Hi. Tiffany Carousel is here. And Richard Cohen. Hello. Lisa Murphy. Hello. And Dan hodgens Hi there. Yay! I'm so excited about this group. Um, even though before we recorded, I was telling them all that I didn't want to record today. I still am excited about the group. So I, don't. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to clarify that that, that was Way sincere, to to stay despite, <laughs> despite, despite all the things that I said off, off mic. Um, so we're going to do another article discussion today. And um, the article is called Fostering Grit by Thomas R. Hoer, H-O-E-R-R, and it was published in Exchange in July, August, 2019. Um, So the quick summary of this one is, uh, the author believes that because early childhood is such, uh, there's such potential for learning during those years, that it's our responsibility to teach them grit during those years. And he defines grit. Um, well, he says in the article, it may be called persistence, tenacity, spunk, or resilience, but the meaning is the same, not giving up, staying focused, responding positively to frustration and failure. So that's, I think that's a little bit different than the way grit is sometimes used. Um, but I, so I usually when I hear grit in the early childhood context or the, um, educational context, it's um like making them work hard and offering difficult challenges and having quote unquote high expectations and um although it's not usually said with that kind of disdain (laughs) the disdain was mine (laughs) (laughs) so that's that's sort of the summary and then really he the whole article is him making a case for why it's important to do this during the early years and um, and how to do it and and so let's let's jump in is there more that you would add that you feel like is important as a summary before we start talking
0: well let's actually talk about his definition his real definition is Mm -hmm. the ability to hang in to press forward and to not deter by obstacles and that's important that's an important definition because I want to argue it okay (laughs) go ahead now, okay, <laughs> yeah, I'm
3: like the present. Dan. The,
0: the the question that I have is, if a child or an adult decides to not persist, does that mean that they do not have true grit? My answer is no. It does not mean that they do not have true grit. It means that they might need more time to solve. They might not be interested in the idea to begin with or the activity. So his definition of true grit is not inclusive enough.
4: OK.
3: Well, and I would actually probably I, I would actually add to that, Dan, and say that a, cho- a choice to not stick with it might be showing more gumption and self-awareness simply by saying, I don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. So
0: absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. That,
2: um. My first note in this whole article was when does it cross over from being grit to being unhealthy?
1: Oh, yeah.
2: When are you persisting so much on the same thing over and over and you're told, like, just keep at it at the cost of your physical health or your mental Mm -hmm. health? Like, there's a line there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. When Josie was a freshman in high school, she was on the soccer team, and um, there was some some something happening. I don't know details, but there were things happening that were making her very unhappy. And she asked if she could quit, and that was such a struggle for me because my gut was, yeah, if you're unhappy, then then do something else. But then I did feel the pressure and had people actually telling me that I was, you know, teaching her that quitting was easy and whatever, whatever. And I finally was able to say, no, I think I'm teaching her that she can have a voice in her mental health <laughs> and, and that that there was wisdom in what she was doing. And so I kind of had that in my mind, even though she was older than the ages we're talking about here.
3: Yeah, I don't I, think we have to teach them anything. I don't we think we have to teach. That's, that's my hang up with this article. Yeah, Adults yeah. do not need. And Richard, sorry, jump in there.
4: No, it's okay. Go ahead, Lisa. Adults well, do not. I
3: think that's, that's at the heart and soul of this whole thing for me mm-hmm. um, is that, and my, my, not to jump right to the snarky marginalia commentary, <laughs> but it, I, I wrote all of these things occur organically um, if and when children are playing together without a lot of adult meddling and interrupting. Every single one of the things he identified as important of, of how to foster it, kids do on their own.
0: Mm -hmm. So I
3: just, I get really itchy when somehow it becomes on us to somehow impart the ability to have grit Mm -hmm. when, uh, when, and when also when that expectation might be put on somebody who doesn't have grit their own selves. (laughs) Yes.
1: Jump in, Richard.
4: Well, I guess I was sort of thinking of it differently. Um, My mind is always in process versus product Mm -hmm. mode. I was, as I was listening to you all, I, I was hearing you talk about um, persisting in a particular uh, moment or in a particular task. Um, but when I think about my time with young children and I know that I'm with them for 10 to 12 months, um, then um, I think it is important for young children to gain a sense of resilience. I don't know that I'd call it grit but um, I don't know that it comes uh, in a moment from a teacher sort of pushing or encouraging. Yes, you can build that block tower, try it again. Mm-hmm. But I think in that long-term relationship we build with the children, uh, uh, the the goal of helping young children who sometimes uh, aren't, uh, you know, I, one of the things Tom talks about in there is, 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 um, sort of is grit nature or nurture. And, um, I I think he's right for some it's nurture. And, uh, for those, um, uh, I think it can be healthy for someone, an adult who loves them to, um, over time, um, encourage them to keep trying, um, but not necessarily in a given moment. Mm
3: -hmm. But that's the ZPD, right? So that's meaning that because based on my relationships and my understanding and my observations, then I know that in this particular moment, this would be something that would work for this particular situation, right? Not that I drink the Kool-Aid that every time a kid's tower falls over, I need to jump in there in order to develop grit and (laughs) stay like the same canned spiel because, you know, I read an article that said I was supposed to.
2: Mm
4: Right. Agreed. So you're scaffolding. I think what I'm hearing you say is you're scaffolding them, um, in the appropriate moments towards whatever the appropriate, uh, goal is for them.
3: Correct. Which is going to look different for kid A, kid B, kid C, potentially even all in the same room.
4: Yeah. My process
1: as I was reading this article was a lot of going back and forth betweening, betweening. There was a lot of betweening, um, going back and forth between the idea that, um, The skills he's saying or the experiences he's saying children benefit from, I agree with resilience and problem solving. And there is good failure. Um, You know, he talks about good failure in this. But the tone of the article was very much, so we need to push kids. To, in in the way I was reading it, and so that's why that's where I became very uncomfortable. Like his, one of his very fr- he he spends the whole first paragraph, couple of paragraphs talking about how this is a, pri- a prime time for children to learn a lot.
3: That turned um, me off. It turned me off a little bit.
1: And we and we know that that's odd. true. But then, and then he jumps into you know Tiger Woods was a golf phenom at five, and those are the kinds of things that I feel like work against. <laughs> resilience and problem solving and so so there was a lot of me bouncing back and forth as I read this but I was uncomfortable through a
0: lot of I'm not I'm not sure I'm comfortable with the term good failure or failure in itself bothers me because like when Lisa mentioned it's more organic it's it's natural I'm not sure that it's you plan for good failure. It just happens yes. as you're struggling, as you're persisting. You know, when they did the study about the infants, I went back, did anybody else read that study? Uh, in terms Which one? of you, The one where they um, had 13 to 18 month olds observing adults mm-hmm. and those adults who were modeled persistency, those infants tended to be more persistent. And again, it goes back to just because children observe adults being persistent does not mean that they necessarily are going to be quote successful or have true grit. Mm-hmm. It could just mean i'm not interested i'm not motivated for whatever reason um it's just not it's it's not natural it so, so the article bothered me a great deal because it just did not feel natural to me. it was more taught mm-hmm. um it was more i'm going to show you and then the comment at the end when he used the word praise i'm thinking come on now we went beyond <laughs> this <laughs> we've argued this for years <laughs> and now he states it is one of the
4: solutions <laughs> yes when i read that last paragraph i immediately thought of you dan and i thought of um I did, well primarily i thought of bev and I thought, yeah, oh, when yeah. I get together with, Don, with Dan, um, I bet we're going to have the same belief about that last paragraph, um, which is there's no need for any kind of praise. Um, I'm not sure why he's distinguishing one kind from another. Um, that's, none of that's even necessary. Mm-hmm.
1: I, well, I think he, he felt like he needed to bring that idea of praise into the conversation because he, he's presenting this as something that has to be adult-directed or it won't happen
3: which is good in to a lot of
1: it. So, so for me, I, when I think about resilience or I think about um, I'm looking at these other words, not giving up, staying focused, responding to frustration, those are all things that I see children doing, but I, I come at it from a children are competent if I get out of their way. <laughs> and it seems like the, the, the guidance in this, in this piece was if you got get out of their way that it'll never happen. And yes. maybe that's an overgeneralization.
0: Yes. But. Yeah. yeah.
3: That it relies on an adult to teach the kid how to develop the grit. Yeah. And I, yeah. I don't agree with that
1: at all. And, and so we, this, I don't know, Richard, is that going against what you were saying earlier when you were talking about the process or do, how do we make that fit? Uh,
4: I'm not sure what you're alluding to mm. uh, of what you think might not fit.
1: <laughs> this, um, the, the dichotomy, the adult led versus child
4: Experience. Well, I would say I had a different take on the infant piece toward the beginning of the okay. of the article. I agree with with everything I'm hearing everyone say, which is the adult doesn't need to lead anything. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. But what I heard, what I read in that part of the article was about co-regulation. Mm-hmm. And though I agree with Dan that um, an adult who models grit, let's say, <laughs> isn't an assurance that the child is going to. Uh, gain grit, but I would say that it's more likely that a child who has seen an adult um, uh, and has witnessed what persistence looks like and overcoming adversity looks like, might be more likely to um, um, practice that, what they've observed, than a child who's never been around an adult who has modeled that for them Or sort of self-talked it and narrated it while it's happening. Yeah.
2: So what I'd really like to see next is an infant watching two adults where one adult is experiencing failure in this way and the other adult is supporting them. Mm -hmm. Because I think that's another big piece that this has completely missed. Right. Is that it's It's that other person believing in you and saying that I support you and validating your experience. And Heather, like in your example with Josie and the soccer, it's not that you're forcing her to go through this experience. It's that you're saying, I see you, I see this is hard. I'm here to support what you decide. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is the key part that frees children up to actually turn it into a choice. Yeah. as opposed to just a thing that's happening to them. Yeah.
1: So so the relationship and the emotional safety is an mm-hmm. important piece, you think. The
2: influence of the other.
1: Yeah. 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 I felt like both – so there's two different studies that he talks about in this, and I, I feel like they're both sort of not really backing up what he's using them to back up. Wow. So, so the imitation one that we've been talking about, um, or the, the, older inf- the older infants and, and young toddler one that we've been talking about, could simply just be imitation and that doesn't mean that it's going to carry through into that toddler's um, free play or you know in the moment toddlers imitate adults and we and so I, I feel like I need more to, to say that that's an example that just being gritty will make a child gritty um, and, and the one that he uses very early um, where Patricia Kuhl is is studying babies' brains and language learning. It's true that it's easier for babies to to learn different languages if they begin to hear them because those synapses and neural pathways are forming. And if they don't hear the sounds from the other languages, they prune away that part so that when they're older, those those pathways aren't there. So it's not that they're very smart and if we shove more in now, it will stick. It's that Neural pathways are being formed, and we have to know a lot more about it than to just say infants' brains are developing at an astonishing rate. So, what can we stuff in?
0: Mm -hmm.
2: So, So it might have been been
1: been sending some
3: some mixed messages on the front part of the article, is what I was what I kind of felt as well. Yeah,
2: and I like to flip that neural analogy it's not that we're pruning, it's that we're growing roots, and the roots will go towards where there's water. So, if Mm -hmm. you have adults in your life that are supporting you and Mm -hmm helping you overcome challenges those roots are going to grow stronger and thicker as opposed to disappearing
0: my my concern is the article left me thinking that adults who work with children need to plan on lots of good failure um for children to be able to be creative curious etc and and i'm hoping that that's not what he was hoping uh, to plan for failure. Right, right. And uh, rather than again, just allowing uh, frustrations and problem solving and uh, happen in a very natural way. Mm -hmm.
2: Uh, He straight up says that's the plan. Sometimes it's necessary for educators, caregivers, and parents to create a frustration so the child can learn how to respond and develop grit.
0: Right.
2: not learning to respond—that's learning to not trust the adults in your life.
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I heard it sort of as a uh, uh, as a bit of an analogy to a provocation in in Reggio Emilian terms.
1: Uh-huh.
4: Um, you know, and when I think about so many of those early educators out there who who either stop at custodial care um, and think my job is to just make sure they're alive by the end of the day. <laughs> Or my job is to make sure that they're happy and peppy and bursting with love. Um, because if they're frustrated and my boss walks in, I'm going to get in trouble. Um, you know, no, I don't think that they need to create frustrations, but if you do set up a time and a space and have wonderful loose parts and all those kinds of things, opportunities for challenges and frustrations will arise. And, uh, and then those children have the opportunity to possibly gain some grit. Mm-hmm. But I can't make them do it. Yeah. Right. So In- so it it In- called
1: to mind for me, um, Jared Green's book about uh, physical play and resilience. Um, and the idea that they, there's so much opportunity for failure. Um, in that physical play and that they gain confidence and they believe in themselves more and they aren't afraid to try something that maybe feels a little risky down the road because they've had these experiences, but in a very authentic way, not in a, um, I was running across the playground and someone tripped me and now I, you know, have to develop some resilience to this, this process, um, uh. which, which is sort of the way, the way it felt that, as he was describing yeah every single
3: one of those every single one of those words grit kindness persistence tenacity spunk resilience not giving up staying focused responding positively to frustration and failure i mean my mind was like this happens every day on the yard and in the classroom <laughs> maybe yes. maybe the angle here is more of one of teaching providers and caregivers and teachers, that all of that stuff is able to happen organically and authentically, that you don't have to be planning opportunities mm-hmm. for that. So instead, let's look again to your environment and where, wh- where is it coming from? If I say the word organic one more time, somebody's gonna have to smack <laughs> me. <laughs>
4: right, right. But, but, but it's, it's truly- more about, what I'm hearing you say is, it's more about focusing on your time and your space uh, and not um, planning an activity about resilience because it's our week. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. Thank you, Richard. Right. Yeah. yeah. And next week is S
1: week, so we'll work on spunk. <laughs> <laughs> and speak with it Yes. Oh my so I goodness.
3: think that might be more of a, of a takeaway angle for listeners who might get a copy of this themselves or use it as staff training uh-huh. is, is is how do we as a team walk through the environment as it's currently set up and identify places where children can practice this instead of the staff leaving the staff meeting thinking okay how do i now start working this into the day because if your environment is rich enough it's already happening Mm -hmm.
1: and one of the things that that concerns me whenever i hear people talking about grit um in early childhood is i feel like for some it's sort of a validation of coldness on the part of the adult working with the child. Like it's sort of hmm. saying, you know, there are times it's okay to just let them suffer or to set up something that will be frustrating. You know, there's just always part of my brain that goes, to, it out that goes it. to those, uh, those coworkers I used to have <laughs> long ago where I feel like they would have been like, Nope, we got to let them get their grit.
3: So hold on. I'm having an idea. It's a half baked thought. Yes. When you, when you pluck out those same words that I just said, right, with persistence, tenacity, spunk, and resilience, not giving up and staying focused, when we see, okay, here's the half-baked part, it's going to come out clumsy, like, when they, when they have those skills, but it's in response to a developmentally inappropriate expectation right? They're showing stick with it in this and they sat there and they wrote their letters 14 times. They've got the grit when really the expectation of sticking with it, right? Of what they were being expected to, to stick with it to needs to be like clarified. Does that? Yeah, it does. does and it navigate? sort of ties
1: into our conversation. So, so Lisa and Tiffany, were you part of this one where we were talking about what we do matters, the Tamar Jacobson article? Yeah. Yep. And 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 she said something like, um, for some children, sitting and participating in that long circle time and behaving, quote unquote, is really just sort of accepting their powerlessness. And so maybe sometimes what we see <laughs> as grit, yeah. someone who's sitting and and really determined to get their letters written on the worksheet or whatever is that's more an acceptance of their powerlessness and they just have to get through it to get to the next thing and not so much about a healthy attitude towards sticking with it. That makes sense.
4: I think I, um, just to give a, a, maybe a very granular example of, um, uh, uh, of a positive way that an adult can support the development of grit perhaps is, you know, um, helping a toddler learn how to zip a zipper. There are so many early educators out there who are just, I've got 20 kids and 20 zippers and it's just much faster if I just do it for them, right? But um, if I see a child is struggling, uh, I don't think there's anything wrong. In fact, I think it's very appropriate for me to say, keep going, you got this, try it. Watch where you're putting that little piece, see how it goes into the hole, yeah. Mm -hmm. You got it. You sure. did it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's me encouraging their persistence when they're, you can feel they're starting to get whiny and they really mm-hmm. just don't want to do it. I just don't even want to do this. <laughs> you, you can do this. You got yeah. this. Put on, try it again. You got it. Yeah. That and to me produces the grit we're talking about. The in, good grit. That kind of a Good grit. Good grit. <laughs> the good band grit. Band yeah. Band yeah. Band.
1: yeah. So that's, that's something I um, was one, wanting to get to Richard because there's a part Um, That I underlined that um, he says, no one wants to see a child unhappy or failing, but by intervening and solving the problem or removing the obstacle, we take away the child's opportunity. And I, I wish the sentence had ended there. It goes on to say to use grit and learn. But it gives them the opportunity to have that practice in that supportive environment with someone that understands what's happening and puts that child's experience before their own agenda. Um, and I, I think that's wonderful.
4: Like I'm all for that. Um. Well, and I think it goes back to the mindset, the self-belief of the teacher is my job to teach something or is my job to provide lots and lots of opportunities and some of them will stick and some of them won't. And I'm with these kids for 10 to 12 months. So I'm not sweating it. If there was a quote unquote, I'm making air quotes for those. I know, we
1: need like a ding or oh, something.
4: Right. <laughs> <Hot> <laughs> if there's a, a failure or, uh, you know, they weren't able to accomplish what they tried, it's okay, there'll be lots more opportunities because my job is to be an opportunity provider, not a teacher of content. Mm-hmm.
0: I love that. What about what about the concept that Claire Cherry talked about when she said that children need lots of opportunity to be successful before they can become a good loser.
4: <laughs> mm.
0: And I'm wondering, yeah. is this fit into this? You know, to me, Richard, I, I I agree with you. I have no problem with encouraging the child to zip up, but I'd like to take it even one step further. Why provide something for them to zip? If the goal is to get outdoors, <laughs> that's get something they can just throw on and, and get outdoors and then deal with the zipper when they're more ready to look at that as a possibility. So, and I think that goes back to how do we create lots of opportunities for children to feel successful so that then they can fail if they need to in that approach. Hmm. Yeah, well said. And that's in contradiction, I think, to what Thomas is saying
1: that you you think he's saying we need to offer those zippers every time we have we need to teach failure we We need need to to teach teach failure failure. oh yeah
0: yeah
3: because on the other side in his in it on the other side of teaching it they get grit
0: correct (laughs) correct the only way out is really
1: bad about yourself But I think I think that opportunity for success and that lots of experiences with success falls into what we're talking about when we talk about the emotional safety of the environment that they're in. Yeah, um, and the trust between adult and child. And you know, Lisa, you've talked about observing and really knowing and basing your. So maybe for one child, this isn't the time to do the zipper, and so put on a sweatshirt that doesn't zip because right, right. You know, so you know, that's just carrying on that same analogy. I don't know that.
3: I think it also brings up the things that we, the 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 horses that we beat to death every time we talk about these amazingly rich topics is <laughs> is the environmental elements that the reason mm-hmm. why we're in a hurry to get outside yeah, is because sure. we've got 18 kids and I only get 20 minutes mm-hmm. on the playground and I got to come back in. And, and so to that, I think a lot of people probably w- embrace like what we are all right now talking about. And then they listen to the podcast and then they go back to wherever they go and they're like, you know, it's ideal and I, and I love it and I believe in it, but I'm in this environment that and I've got 20 mind, minutes
1: on the playground. And if, minutes, if I take 10 doing zippers <laughs> right?
3: Zippers, yeah. and, and so they like, they, they believe and buy into it on that ideal level, but then their day-to-day practice, mm-hmm. they don't feel that, that, that is able to actually unfold. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just, I think that causes a lot of people, a lot of frustration.
1: So can we talk about some day-to-day practice baby step kind of situations or tips or things?
3: Well, just simply to have the time to be able to sit in the space and wait for Mm -hmm. just to keep the zipper analogy going. (laughs) Um, but But then also seriously, not to be like overly literal, but if you are in a young toddler classroom, maybe where kids are learning body training skills and techniques, nobody should be in zippers or overalls. Correct. You know, I mean, that's <laughs> like, right? That's parent yeah. orientation yeah. 101 is right. that yeah. opportunity for a success. Um, you know, so control uh, controlling the, the environment, yeah. you know, and, and yeah. if 90% of the time I do sit in that space with you and let you figure it out yourself, occasionally if there's a time when I'm like, just get over here, we got to get outside, we're kind of in a hurry today, let me yeah. do it. It becomes the exception and not the rule.
1: Yeah. Or what about saying, um, you know, you really want to work on that zipper. Uh, Let's let's start over outside. And they can finish zipping when we're outside instead of feeling all that pressure to remove the obstacle and do four. uh, But still balancing that need to get on the playground because we only have 20 minutes Mm -hmm. before it's the next class's turn. Um, But I
4: also hear two tangential skills. Uh, that the early childhood educator needs. One is um, a lot of them don't realize, oh, my job is to educate the parents. That's sure. what I'm hearing Dan and Lisa talk about, right? Like, mm-hmm. here are the kind of clothes you need to be sending <laughs> your children in. And it's my job to tell you that because I can't assume you're going to know that. Um, but two, I have to look at my daily schedule and I have to be okay. I have to have some skills in the area of transitions. And I can't have a daily schedule that says five minutes in the winter. To get the stuff <laughs> on that side, I have to have, I have to plan on twenty minutes and make sure that I'm, um, I've got something rich and interesting and fun happening while we're all putting on our jackets, mm-hmm. not trying to rush out in five. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think another and- another baby step would be really thinking critically about where you are supporting that failure. So back to the zipper analogy because it's great. Cause- <laughs>
1: Because why start I, with something new now? Right.
2: <laughs> so maybe the challenge that that child is facing isn't doing the zipper, it's asking for help. Oh. And by you not responding to that and pushing mm-hmm. it to the zipper, you are missing that fostering the moment where they have been working so hard to ask for help. They finally asked you and you say, no, figure it out yourself. Like, sorry, it's grit time. It's grit time. (laughs) So, so really thinking critically about what each child is working on Mm -hmm. and where they are needing to be pushed in that ZPD and making sure that you're listening and hearing it and also responding when they're taking their first baby step.
4: Mm -hmm.
2: Because that, that specific Zipper help example, I cannot tell you how many times you teach a toddler how to say help because they just throw it in a puddle on the floor and then they say help and you're like, you can do it. <laughs> like, you're not giving That's them those true, moments yeah. of success to say, I asked for help and someone helps me. Yeah. So I yeah. think really knowing your children is going to be the first baby step here.
3: And we could probably right now, all five of us go through and um, almost act out different personality styles that would be in the classroom that you would have to figure out you know the one kid that you know really has trained the adults to always just come in and do it because they don't want to do it versus the child (coughs) you have you know just talked about who is finally doing asking and you shut it down I mean 18 different characters. Which I think goes back also to, Richard, what you, what you talk about now. I've, I've <laughs> podcasted with you a couple times. The, the Where is the teacher? What do I know about this kid? What do I know about myself? What Kool-Aid did I drink as an educator? Do I think my job is to be filling them with all of this content and knowledge? Or do I realize that right now, as a quote-unquote teacher, my job is to sit in this space with you and figure out what my role is in regard to this zipper scenario <laughs> with this particular child right now. And, and I think part of my goal, selfishly, professionally, is to get people thinking more through the lens of the latter, not the former.
4: Well, what yes. And so what I think I'm hearing us all talk about is relationship-based learning, right? <laughs> Surprise! Is the, the foundation for everything <laughs> is um, knowing and loving each child and their family and their context, right? So that not only do I know that this child is generally capable of um, zipping up their zipper, but I also know that um, mom and dad got in a fight this morning and the child is really a little off. And today, yeah, it's okay if I zip it up for them because today they've regressed a little bit, let's say. And um, even though in general they're capable, today uh, I need to, what's more important is me reminding them that somebody loves and cares about them. (laughs)
3: And to that, to that, then the relationship going to the staff with the admin who you're not worried then about the person walking in and it looks like you're spoiling quote unquote or coddling, you know, you would have the wherewithal to be able to walk somebody through. Why are you helping the five-year-old put on their pants? Mm
0: -hmm.
4: Right.
3: Because this is why I'm helping the five-year-old. Right. Right. Right.
4: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I teach community college classes and a lot of that, is me pushing them to, most all of them have um, innate wisdom about early childhood education, most of my students, but I need them to be able to give me their rationale. Mm -hmm. Um, And I tell them that you're going to need, it's likely that you might be reporting to someone who knows less about child development (laughs) than you do. And so, and are going to wonder why you're doing what you're doing. So, you know, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but just You've got the innate understanding, but I want to see you put it into words, because you need to practice being able to explain why you do what you do, um, because that's going to come get you in the real world. Richard, that's the
0: other ball of fire that I want to throw in here. (laughs) If you have an adult that is only experienced, quote, bad failure, are they capable of then providing good failure? Mm. So, if we hire someone, <laughs> going back as an early childhood professional in the field, that has had no positive opportunities to solve problems, for example, would I then use children to provoke that kind of experience or not? Am I capable of doing that? Is one of the questions that I'm asking directors as they're hiring individuals to work with children.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point, Dan. And I think part of it falls to the director to serve that role for the teacher and and not ask, not put the children in that position. Yes. That's part of our Sometimes people
3: don't realize that they haven't had the good grit until they're in a room full of 23-year-olds and then they're like, huh, (laughs) apparently I've only had bad failure
1: experience. (laughs) (laughs) Now what? Yeah,
0: yeah.
3: But then now you're back to relationship and supportive and coaching and mentoring within a yes. group of adults in that space. And and I think too many people argue that they don't have time for that or they don't have the funding for that or there's too much interpersonal nonsense going on. I mean, all of these wonderfully deep, rich conversations that we have on the podcast really always come back to the R word of, mm-hmm. of relationship. Mm-hmm. And how do you get that? To go back to what we talked about the other day, Heather, I forget who was there, sorry, but but how do you know what are the what are the words that describe how you're creating relationships? Mm. We throw relationships around all right. the time. It's
1: almost a buzzword.
3: It is almost <laughs> a buzzword, but but how do you know if I walked in into the space, what actual behaviors, actions, language would I see here, witness, experience? that showed me that relationships were being strengthened here. And the reality in my world is that a lot of them are the caretaking verbs, the caretaking Mm -hmm. language, which um, teachy, teachy teachers feel (laughs) a little bit of a resentment against. Mm. I'm not using my master's degree when I'm caring, when I'm listening. I I
1: didn't get a master's degree to change diapers.
3: (laughs) Right. Well then, well, you know,
0: yeah. it, uh, the other thing in the article, he talks about K-12 systems that in the country are, their goal is to create success. And I'm thinking, what school districts <laughs> are you around? <robbed?
3: laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he said the sooner
0: That's the a, better.
4: Uh, I did right. yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> So oh. that
3: education, whether early childhood K-12 or higher ed is designed to lead to success and the sooner the better. Now I'm not. I might be implying, or I'm inferring that he agrees with that. I, I like <laughs> to think he doesn't, but you know, I don't. I,
4: uh. Yeah. So I. Well, I'll just throw in here because it sounds like maybe we're coming toward the end. Yeah, I think we and should. And I want to just make sure to mention <laughs> this. Um, I don't know how many of you know Tom. Um, his last name is pronounced her. Her. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. Um, and uh, he's in St. Louis, which is where I grew up, and um, he's a magnificent principal of a jaw-droppingly amazing private school
0: mm-hmm. uh, that
4: goes from preschool through at least sixth, if not higher. Um, uh, he really is uh, an incredible educator and a gift in our field, but um, he's also in a very um, unique vacuum. <laughs> um, uh, it, where he he's really is in a little uh, utopia that he's responsible for creating. And I give him all the credit for that, but his place, uh new city school looks very different from um, most of the places that I visit around the country. Yeah. And thank you for, for, and I would for mention all us. of his teachers have master's degrees. Yeah. I, that know, makes a difference.
1: I just, I felt like, um, I think my biggest, my biggest thing was just that for the age that I work with and that I think about and talk about working with most, this just didn't seem to fit. Um, despite agreeing with the things that we want, that he wanted for children, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, just the, the discussion didn't, didn't fit for me mm-hmm. or for birth to five, birth to six, was, was really where I was through the whole thing that going back and forth and back and forth. Um, and, uh, and I think that this was, this has been a good discussion. What Tiffany?
2: I would say I agree with the end result, but I don't agree with the process of getting there. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: It's too, I think, I think it's too top
3: heavy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm a broken record today. I would have liked a little bit more (laughs) talking about how kids are able to do this when they are in, strong play-based environments. Mm-hmm. They have opportunities to learn these things without us getting all up in their business.
4: Well, and I'll just say, you know, I love being a part of a conversation like this because I can smell a wonderful early childhood educator a mile away. You know them when, you know them. you just uh-huh. you feel it when you're around them. And Tom is an amazing person but um, he's an elementary school principal. Yeah. And you can tell when you yeah. read the article that it wasn't written by an early childhood.
3: That's <laughs> right. Yeah. I would agree with that.
4: Yeah. Yeah. And um, you
3: yeah. know what? What would be interesting, and I, I realize it's not my area of expertise, but, but perhaps for somebody else, I would love to be a fly on the wall and hear middle school teachers have the same kind of processing discussion on the same exact article and kind of get what an older Lens an older reaction and response might be. You know what are are. You know is it actually kind of the same, or or do is there more of a buy-in that it is it's an adult a set up kind of uh, thing to have happen? You know, that that would be interesting to me.
2: Uh, I also agree that would be interesting. My instinct says it would be the same conversation because this whole time I've been thinking about my teachers and my staff and uh-huh. how. My job isn't to set up the environment, like, to give them experiences that foster their grit. My job is to build a supportive environment and let them live an authentic life with children. So to me, if our argument applies to adults, it should definitely apply to sixth graders.
1: Yeah. How many teachers would feel so disrespected if we set up intentional failure for them? And how safe would they feel then engaging in any kind of reflection with me? Yeah, yeah. But...
2: yeah I don't know uh whoa that was an interesting
1: interesting (laughs) perspective
2: thanks like thinking of circling back my favorite thing to do Uh uh that moment where you only have 20 minutes on the playground and you're frantically trying to get all the kids outside and it's hard every day and you dread it every day aren't you setting your staff up for failure if you do that how many times, how much of the frustrations of early childhood educators are because they are being set up to fail, whether intentional or not,
0: mm. right? Interesting. So we well treat said. children
3: the way we feel treated or, or right. we realize that, that we're doing it or, or
4: not. Mm-hmm. Well, then we can yeah. open up a whole conversation about the context in which those teachers are doing their jobs and which those directors are doing their jobs and all of the crazy regulations and standards that form the, the, um, you know, the context that puts all of those developmentally inappropriate requirements on those people that sets them up for failure to begin with.
2: Mm -hmm. I think it all comes down to money. That's my instinct. (laughs) Uh
1: I would agree with that, but that's a whole other hour conversation. (laughs) We've already done an hour on this one. (laughs) What a wonderful hour it was. It was. Are there final thoughts or parting shots anybody needs to get in?
0: (laughs) I don't feel like I have, I don't feel like I have true grit.
4: (laughs) I don't think (laughs) I do either. (laughs) You I don't need to be John you. Wayne to be an early right. educator. Oh. right? yeah. <laughs> that's God. good because I don't Part like John
0: Wayne. <laughs>
1: Right. <laughs> all right. Well, that's a good place to stop. You don't need to be John Wayne <laughs> to be an early <literally laughs> childhood <laughs> educator. All right. Thank you all. Um, this was great. I knew it would be and uh and i was right oh my god um so i appreciate you all being here um and thanks to everybody who listened to another episode uh we'll see you again next week bye bye
0: bye bye that. and that's the show now go get your nerd on